You are now listening to the Rogue Social Worker Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Kate. I wanted to start by telling you a little bit about myself, how uh, KindWorks came into existence. Um, I've been working in nonprofits for the last 15 years or so. Uh, started when I was around 15 or 16 years old working in a nursing home uh, as an internship in my alternative school. And because uh, Lord knows I couldn't survive in the uh, regular school, I did not like it. I did not see the point of it. I was not going to class. So I went to this alternative school where they had us do internships. I wanted to work. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people. I didn't quite know how. So uh, my dad was working as a chef at a nursing home in Brooklyn. And so I went with him every day. And I worked in the activities department and uh, on the dementia floor. And I loved it. I loved helping people. I loved the fucking, uh, you know, the intense emotions with working people with dementia um, in Brooklyn. It was not pretty. I, you know... I was broken down and beaten down every day uh, by my sadness about these people and that they had no visitors, that they were in, you know, some of them were really upset and angry and yelling and they were pretty much like warehoused there. It wasn't the worst, but it was definitely like warehouse-like uh, for for these, these folks. And, um, you know, I think the staff did the best they could, but uh, it was certainly an appropriate introduction to human services um, for where I ended up. So I did that. Um, over the years, I worked with people with developmental disabilities, elderly, obviously, um, other nursing homes uh, with dementia, uh, teenagers uh, in crisis, uh, homelessness. Eventually, I would fall in love with uh, permanent housing and um, ending homelessness because for me it wasn't necessarily the population I don't care um, who you are where you come from what kind of experiences you've had I, uh, I, I just wanted to serve the most needy and the people who got the shortest end of the stick um, in terms of uh, American society and our, our culture who really gets fucked the most. That's who I want to work with. Um, so yeah, I fell in love with uh, ending homelessness. And so I got a job at Housing First Rhode Island uh, at Riverwood Mental Health Services and saw um, the good, the bad, and the ugly of case management, of um, the joke that is the nonprofit system. Um, and the the you know, it, and it really wasn't, Riverwood wasn't the worst. Like, the culture among the staff and the manager and the leadership, um, it wasn't bad. You know, they really did try to promote a supportive and positive culture. Um, and it really was one of the best in terms of, of culture. But um, I was disappointed with uh, the cherry picking and the laziness of some of the staff. They really didn't truly care uh, to keep people in housing. They, they didn't care whether people stayed in housing or whether they sabotaged themselves, whether the clients sabotaged themselves. And, uh, you know, they pretty much... You, you, the thing about housing first is that you have to do everything in your power 
as a case manager to make sure somebody stays housed. You have to be creative. You have to bust your ass. You have to work your face off to make sure these people stay in housing because once they're out again, it is that much more difficult to get them into housing. And it's a lot easier, you know, when somebody's in housing to find them, to, to help them when they're sick, to help them live, you know, to their fullest potential. So they were just, they were cherry picking clients. They were unmotivated uh, case managers. And I really, I, I bonded with the outreach worker there. They made me an outreach worker after being a case manager for a short time. Um, and so I was out on the street riding my bike around Providence, um, meeting the people who had been homeless for years and years and years and uh, learning from uh, one of the most amazing people that I've known, John Joyce. And um, he, uh, he got an offer from the Evil Empire, uh, a.k.a. the Providence Center. Um, and they were at the time, I want to say like a $20 million a year nonprofit organization, private nonprofit. Um, but of course, you can't really say private because they received tons of Medicaid money and tax dollars uh, because they were a nonprofit. And we called them the evil empire because they just took over every, every, uh, I guess you'd say like model or uh, type of treatment, whether it was substance use, mental health, homelessness. They wanted their slimy little fingers in everything because that meant more money for them. The more people that they served, the more money that they got. And, um, but they offered him you know, uh, resources that he couldn't really refuse, resources resources for his clients. And it was called the home base program, the program that they wanted him to work in. And so um, he left and I was kind of like, you know, he was my, he was my guiding light. He was like my North Star. So I followed him to the Providence Center. Um, you know, he referred me to the team and I went there and I started on home base and I realized they weren't running a housing first program. Um, it wasn't even uh, housing first like. It was, um, I mean, it was a joke. The person who was running it had no idea how to be a leader. The manager had no idea how to be a leader. Um, the person who had written the grant had no idea what housing first was or how many people you could conceivably serve in a period of three years with a certain amount of money. I think it was like, you know, half a million a year adding up to like one and a half million or something like that. And, um, they completely overpromised the number of people they could serve. And, um, and it was evident that nobody knew how to run a housing first program, um, now, the basis of Housing First is harm reduction. Now, what that means is that you are serving uh, the most needy people. In order to serve the most needy people, you can't kick them out at a drop at the drop of a hat. You can't catch them smoking pot in their apartment <laughs> and say you're out on the street because it defeats the purpose of keeping somebody who's hard to house in housing. So they obviously, they didn't understand that. Um, they were telling their case managers that people couldn't have alcohol in their apartments. Um, uh, as, as far as I can remember, um, alcohol is legal. And uh, just because somebody is an alcoholic doesn't mean they can't have alcohol in their apartment. So they were actually telling their case managers to be, uh, more or less scold 
the people who had alcohol in their refrigerator, a beer or something. Um, it was completely uh, opposed to the housing first model. It was completely opposed to the harm reduction model. And I brought it up and they were like, oh, I guess you're, I guess you're right. You know, we can't really be doing this and, and say we're like even close to resembling a housing first model. And, um, eventually we changed, you know, we had a decent group of people at first. Um, I was there for about two and a half years and, uh, we, we didn't have a bad group. Like we were, they were able to grasp the, uh, the notion of housing first, even though, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't truly follow through on it. We had like 25, 30 people do a caseload and housing first, you're only supposed to have 15 people on a caseload because um, they need so much time and effort. And it's just very work intensive to keep people housed. And because they're, they're hard to house, they've been in and out of housing for some of them 10, 20, 30 years. And so, um, you know, that right there violates, you know, having 25 or 30 people on a caseload violates, uh, you know, the housing first model. So, but, but I mean, I think aside from them overworking us and us having to shortchange um, less needy people, um, I really think that we tried our best to implement the model as best we could. Um, but eventually I got burnt out. Uh, people left. Some of our, our uh, greatest case managers uh, walked away because they were being mistreated. Or, you know, one of them was for personal reasons. She moved across the country, or I think outside of the country, uh, Switzerland. And, um, but, uh, you know, and they put somebody in like an assistant manager position that, that had, I mean, no emotional intelligence, I would say. Um, and if he ever hears this, you know, uh, I hope he knows that I love him. But, um, you know, it was just the wrong choice there. He had no, uh, in comparison to me, he had no emotional intelligence, um, a lot less skill, a lot less experience with the population. Um, but all they wanted, which they told me was a bean counter. And as soon as they said, all we want for this position is a bean counter. Um, I knew that my relationship with that agency would be over. Um, I, I knew that they were in this, you know, when you don't, when you don't have like a legit way to make money or you're misspending your money or you're overstretching your resource resources and you're stretching them too thin, um, it becomes apparent in the outcomes. And it's hard to identify that in a nonprofit system because you're serving people who, who like uh, fundamentally people don't care about them. So, like, homeless people, do you really know what's going on in their lives? Do you really know that, like, they were supposed to get five hours of services per week and they only got one? Like, no, you don't know that. So it's a little bit different from the, uh, the regular free market where uh, the market reacts to, uh, to a service you provide or a product you, you make or you sell. So, because people don't know. They're not, they're not on Facebook trashing your agency, you know, and even if they are, what choice do they have? What choice do the clients have? They have to receive the services. So, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, it's, it's a matter of life and death for them. 
So, um, let's see. So where was I? Yes, I, I decided that once they once they told me their their true um, feelings about what you know my feedback, I was giving them feedback about you know we're doing some stuff that's really questionable, mistreating clients. You know I'm being you know, I'm bringing this stuff up and it's basically getting ignored. Um, there was all sorts of like clients' rights violations that were happening throughout the years, throughout the months, and um, and I had made sort of a ruckus there, and they did not like that. Um, of course, uh, getting too close to puncturing or bruising their egos. Uh, so, um, I, I said, you know what, if, if you need a bean counter and that's your, that's your most important variable right now, you go do that. I'll see you later. Um, and so I took a little break, went to work with, uh, developmental disabilities folks, um, did case management with them, which opened my eyes in a huge way um, because if anybody has ever worked with people with developmental disabilities um, they will know that the the uh, the services that they get are very very different from um, pretty much any other oppressed population like they used to be really oppressed they used to live in basically warehouses, sort of like I was driving with the nursing homes and institutions. So they were, and they were being mistreated. They were basically made to do slave labor not long ago. You know, we're talking like 30 years ago, um, which isn't that long ago. So, um, but now they've come so far because of the advocacy of the families and the groups that they form and the organizations that have advocated for them. Um, and they get, I mean, you talk about government bloat. And you talk about government waste. I I think I became more, <laughs> more of a libertarian or a Republican than I have ever been working with people with developmental disabilities because I went from having a 30-client caseload at the Providence Center to uh, working with homeless population uh, to a five-client caseload for people who were stable for people who didn't need much of anything. Um, it was amazing. And um, I was just blown away. And for the first two weeks, I was depressed. And I was depressed for two reasons, like acutely depressed, like borderline suicidal. First reason was I was bored. I went from putting out fires five times a day with people who were on the verge of death, uh, living outside, you're right, trying to make sure that they don't die. Um, and people did die, of course, but you know, this was, this was very exciting and, and, you know, you felt really important. And so I went from that to basically drive, you know, being a taxi driver, uh, babysitting and with people who were not mentally stimulating people who could not engage in a conversation for more, uh, about more than like two topics, you know, and I love them. Um, but it's, it's one of my least favorite populations because, uh, because they have everything they need and it's not, you know, it's not that I dislike them as people. Like, of course I love them, but, um, they, they had everything they needed. I felt like I was wasting my time, but what I was doing was I was resting. I was resting my mind after those first couple of weeks of feeling bad, feeling bored, feeling guilty, feeling like, um, 
you know, the people with developmental disabilities were like survivor's guilt almost because I knew that while they were getting ridiculous amount of service hours from case managers that really weren't doing a hell of a lot, not to say that they don't work hard. Like I love the people I worked with, um, at, uh, LifeWorks, but, um, you know, we, <laughs> this was a lot of talent basically just sitting and, and getting wasted. And so I, I sort of had survivor's guilt, um, because I knew that people were suffering on the street and people were fighting tooth and nail to get housing and to get their basic needs met while we were getting paid to go to the movies with people and have coffee with people and go to dinner with people and play bocce with these guys. And um, so I had some guilt. I had some depression. But what I did was I started doing research. I started, uh, so while I had been at the Providence Center, I had noticed a couple of things that the people who were really in control of housing our guys were the landlords. They could decide where our clients lived. Like, you know, we had to form relationships, AKA fucking kiss their asses with landlords who were willing to house our clients knowing, um, generally their, their histories, right? So we were reliant on landlords to number one, buy properties in areas that were not drug infested, not gang infested, um, because we're taking people who most likely had some sort of history with um, either sex work or using drugs and alcohol or selling drugs or, you know, some sort of history within those neighborhoods. And we had to rely on the, the landlords to not buy in those neighborhoods. But the thing was, like, we, we really had no control over that. So, and the other thing we didn't, we, uh, didn't have control over was who they accepted. You know, we had to basically sell our clients, sell their stories, um, sell the landlords, the fact that we were going to be there no matter what. And we did a good job of that, but I was pissed off that we had to rely on somebody else. We were beholden to these landlords. We were beholden to the government to, um, you know, approve. We had to basically prove uh, you know, how these people wipe their asses to get them into housing, to get them these vouchers, because they needed to know every single part of these, you know, have every single piece of documentation in from, uh, their criminal history to their income to their birth certificate. Um, you know, and it's, that's the hardest part of the job is to get the documentation. Um, that's why I love when people come around and they're like, oh, the documentation is the easy part. Um, you know, uh, gaining their trust is the hard part. I beg to differ. Um, I would say gaining people's trust, if you're good at your job, should not be that fucking hard. However, getting somebody who is drunk 75% of the time over to social security to get their award letter or over to city hall to get their birth certificate, that's a little bit difficult. Anyway, I digress. Um, where was I? <clears throat> so, oh yeah. So during, during my time at the Providence Center, I, I was sick of being beholden to the landlords. I was sick of being beholden to the government. I was sick of getting paid dick for doing all the work while the people above me who saw the clients the least amount of time were getting more money. 
and I, you know, barely making a living wage. And, uh, of course the government taking, you know, 30%. And, uh, and I was just like, why, you know, just because I like helping people doesn't mean I'm not working hard and I don't deserve a decent paycheck. Like I, if I had stayed at a job like that, like, uh, I I don't know if I ever would have been able to have kids or, you know, do anything else that I, that I wanted to do. So basically I started doing research and, um, trying to come up with a way to create our own agency without being beholden to anybody else, the government, landlords, I said, or, or social service agencies. Um, I don't want to have to scrounge, uh, uh, what do you call it? Scrape change together uh, to to pay for services. I don't want to have to suck the government's dick to get uh, housing vouchers. You know, we were promised. Uh, I can't even tell you. I'll talk about this in other episodes, but I can't even tell you how many times we were promised things that never came through from the government or came through six months late. Or, you know, everybody, everybody had something to say, but we didn't have the tools we needed to get the job done. But everybody wanted to either congratulate us or criticize us. And it was just like, it was just like fucking high school. And, um, and, and the culture was toxic. It became toxic. And, you know, there was, there was one person that was hired for our team that like, we had absolutely no say in. And she poisoned the team and she was an idiot. She didn't know what housing first was. She didn't believe that people who, who were older could change. She, you know, I guess she wanted to work with kids or something, but, um, you know, why she was hired was a total mystery to me. And she, she poisoned the team. And, um, and it was the first sort of domino in the process of the team falling apart and that, and that, uh, program falling apart. And so, um, anyway, I started scheming. I said, you know, why are we, why are we working with the government? Why are we working with agencies? Why are we working with landlords? Um, these landlords are making money hand over fist. You know, they're, they're, they're investing in real estate. I can do that too. Um, and if they can make the ridiculous amount of money that they're making, um, why can't I do that and not have anything to do with being a nonprofit because I don't, you know, there are so many things that are wrong with, uh, with being a nonprofit. And, um, and so I started researching about real estate investing a little bit here and there, Uh, actually back at the Providence center, I hadn't really dove in completely yet. Um, but I, I started sort of scheming and, and bringing my friends together who actually understood what needed to be done, what the problems were. And, um, and I left the Providence Center. I was at uh, LifeWorks doing the developmental disabilities. And that's, I think that's when I really started diving into uh, researching real estate investing, going to the real estate investors meeting in Rhode Island, um, hooking up with a coach and who ended up being a business partner that I didn't really do a lot of business with, but I learned a lot from. Um, and, and I said, I'm going to come up, I'm going to, I'm going to make enough money up front doing real estate investing, um, that 
uh, in a couple years from now, I'm going to create a social enterprise using that money where um, we create mixed income housing in decent neighborhoods and we're going to provide services. We're going to be both the landlord and the service provider and we're going to supply the subsidies. So those three things, you have access to housing, being a landlord, you have subsidies, which usually comes from the government, fuck the government, and you have services. So, and the services rely on the culture of the team. And, um, and I really wanted to be somebody who was able to influence an agency's culture and influence a program's culture and, um, and bring the right people onto teams who know how to work together and know how, like, there are so many passionate people out there who are investing their time and their, and their energy into programs that just aren't working. And, and I'm like, we could, we could put their talents and their skills and their effort into something that actually works. So I said, I want to be the landlord. I want to be the subsidy provider and I want to be the service provider. So I started uh, doing some research and at the same time, um, I had been asked to write a grant for, uh, to help write a grant rather, for House of Hope's um, bid for the PATH funding, which is uh, federal government uh, uh, funding for outreach, uh, mostly outreach on the street. Um, you know, but I ran into the same, the same barriers that I had run into over and over whether it was cherry picking or having nowhere to bring these people that we met on the street. Like, okay, so you're giving us a shitload of money to go outreach people on the street, but no money for housing. Um, and I'll tell you lots of stories about House of Hope and all the other agencies in the, in the coming episodes, but it was the same shit over and over. And I stayed there for a year until I actually had a nervous breakdown. Um, and... And I, I literally could not, I was having panic attacks. Um, I, I couldn't understand why, I mean, I was spending my time in a losing battle. Why am I spending my time trying to be a magician, trying to, to create these relationships with people on the streets um, and put them in substandard housing with no furniture um, and, and just like a, a half-ass, just a half-ass program um and 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 it wasn't the necessarily the people it was the system that they had created for us to work with them and if you don't have a a cohesive system that makes sense like we are going to take people create relationships on the street with people um, put them into housing and help them reach their highest potential one two three those three steps if you don't know how you are going to get people from that first step to that last step and what the fuck are you doing you're wasting your time so after a year and having had a nervous breakdown after a year I uh I went back to the to the agency the uh, to serve people with developmental disabilities because I said you know what I'm I'm gonna start my own agency I've I've been working you know with uh my business partner at this point I had been working with him for I think about a year and nothing was really coming because I was so stressed out. I was so emotionally drained um, that I really wasn't able to put the effort and the energy in um, into that part of my life. 
and and to basically chase that dream and make it happen. So I left uh, House of Hope. I went to back to LifeWorks because I knew it was a mindless job, and most of the most of my time was spent, um, you know, daydreaming. So I knew I would have downtime. And so over the last nine months or so, I've been at LifeWorks, um, and there was a change in management. And just like all the rest of the agencies. Um, you know, if you don't have the right leaders in place, the people who listen to their staff, the people who create psychological safety in meetings, the people who support you, who put their money where their mouth is, who walk the walk, um, if those people aren't in leadership positions uh, or the leadership positions has people who don't do those things, um, it's a recipe for disaster. That's the quickest way to kill morale. It's the quickest way to kill a team, to kill your mission is to have a shitty culture where you don't listen to your staff and to have a completely disorganized um, way of doing things uh, to basically not follow through on anything you're asked. So that that's actually happened over the last nine months. And, you know, it's not, it's, uh, it, it, you know, it's just another example of, uh, why agencies and programs and missions fall apart. Um, so anyway, that's where I've been for the last nine months, but it has enabled me all this downtime, all the time that they don't put us to work and continue to pay us. Um, I've been able to grind, uh, on my mission to create a social enterprise that's called kind works and here I am um, about to go into my last week of work at LifeWorks and go full throttle on KindWorks because I actually have the cash to quit my job. And um, I, I wanted to tell my story up until now. Um, and, and that's where I'm at now. And, and I'm, finally, um, I'm finally making money and buying selling houses uh, as a real estate investor. I've got my LLC. And, uh, you know, everything is, is going just the way, excuse me, just the way I planned it. And, um, I'm not going to let anything derail it. Nothing. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sitting in the parking lot waiting for a client to get out of Weight Watchers meeting. Um, and, uh. I just thought, you know, this is the perfect time to document, um, you know, what it's been like up until now, why I'm here. Um, I really am sick of social services being reliant on the government, being funded by taxpayer dollars, um, and not uh, and not accomplishing their mission, and getting getting so sidetracked, and having to kiss some private owners' asses, uh, owners donors, private donors, I meant to say um, asses and, um, you know, basically jerk off government officials to get these grants and then, and then proceed to throw them down the drain, flush them down the toilet. Um, I'm sick of it. So that's why I'm at where I'm at. The vision, uh, before I have to go, I have to go in about 10 minutes, but the vision for KindWorks is exactly the same as, as, what I described a few minutes ago, which is I want to be the landlord. I want to be the service provider. 
and I want to be the one who short-term subsidizes. So the other problem that I saw with the agent, with every single agency that I worked at was they had, you know, some of them had pieces of a working mission, right? So they had, okay, we're really good at getting people into housing and we're really good at providing services or, um, you know, that, that was basically it, right? I can't, I can't say, I can't say anybody had this last piece, which is what I really care about, which I call reaching their highest potential with the clients, reaching the client's highest potential. So something along the lines, along the way would break down, whether it was helping people get jobs or helping people get sober or having a meaningful daytime activity if they couldn't work or, you know, instead of, instead of putting out fires, why didn't we have a system set up to pull people into their highest potential? So a lot of people had amazing skills. We had a guy who cut um, marble countertops at, um, at work sites so that people could come and buy these countertops and install them in their kitchens. But he sat and played video games because he had some major depression and nobody was there to lift him out of that, to help him, to give him every opportunity to go back to work. And we had somebody who... Uh, was a whiz at the stock market. He loved investing. Now, even though his body couldn't handle a lot of other stuff, um, I, I was his case manager. I didn't have time. I was busy putting out other fires. Well, guess what happened to him? He, he fucking died in his apartment from liver failure. Um, and one of our other clients found him after I had left, like shortly after I had left Providence Center. Um, so... What I would like to do with Kind Works is not only build trust with people, build relationships with people on the street, um, get them into housing, give them everything they need, including fucking furniture, because you can't put people into an apartment and then not give them furniture. That's basically telling them to live in a crack house. Um, but putting them in B or above neighborhoods, um, in, in neighborhoods where they are not surrounded by drugs and prostitution and all the stuff that, that they were used to um, supporting themselves with, you know, whether it's emotionally or financially, you know, put, I, I want to build that trust, put them into B neighborhoods, into mixed income housing. We need to stop segregating people into poor people over here, rich people over there, black people over here, poor people, uh, white people over here. So, um, you know, I want to do mixed income housing. So like a 60-40 setup where 60% or 70% of apartments in a, a particular complex, I, you know, imagine like a 10 unit apartment building where uh, six or seven units are regular market rate and uh, market rate apartments where people are paying, you know, in a B neighborhood, whatever, like nine, $900 or $1,000 a month. And then you have 40% at first being subsidized by the other apartments and you're basically breaking even but you're putting in the services to help those 40 percent uh, of people in that in that building uh 30 to 40 percent you know whatever whatever the numbers work out to be because you don't want to sabotage yourself with the numbers either um, but you put case managers with them uh who can 
help them reach their highest potential, put them to work within the agency. That's the beauty of this. In real estate investing, I can do anything. I can flip houses. I can buy and sell on terms. um, I can buy and hold, right? So put those people to work. Regardless of their criminal background, pay them a living wage. Then guess what? You pay them a living wage, they're paying their rent. Now all of a sudden, it's not 60-40 or 70-30 market rate versus uh, subsidized. Everybody's paying a regular rent. I mean, it's not that fucking difficult. So, you know, not only we're doing those three things, we're being those three things. We're being the landlord, service provider, and subsidy. But we are also going from the street into housing into their highest potential. And we are not stopping for one second. We are not putting people in apartments without furniture. Um, we are not putting people in apartments and then walking away and saying, good, good luck with your life. All right. But the vision is to actually help people reach their highest potential. All right. So that's where I'm at now. I'm about to quit my job. Well, I already did. I put in my notice. Uh, May 11th is the official last day and I've got let's see one two three four five properties now um, before I even quit my full-time job so that's I'm I'm super psyched I've got a student rental that's gonna net hopefully around a thousand a month Um, and that's that's just that's just income right there I've got a property that um, is completely just a shell of a giant house right now that I want to turn into uh, 10 or 11 apartment units, um, one, two, and three bedroom units. And I've got a rent to own going on in New London, um, and she should be cashing out uh, within within the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Amazing. Um, I've got a fixer-upper in Wales that I'm flipping um, that I bought on terms uh, subject to the existing debt. So I basically put no money down. Um, I'm going to fix it up. And then um, I've already got buyers interested in either finishing fixing it up or waiting until I fix it up. They're going to come check it out on Friday, um, which is tomorrow. And then I just signed another Uh, Got another LOI signed uh, to do rent to own on a house that really doesn't need anything. Family just wants to move back closer to family in upstate New York. So that's where I'm at now. Um, My goal is to net a hundred thousand. You know, as soon as I can net that, like after paying myself, you know, thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand a year. um, If I can net a hundred thousand, that will allow me to put some money down on. Uh, on houses to flip or to rent to own and um, and hopefully eventually buy that 10 unit um, you know wherever you know I would love to I would love to do it in Rhode Island and give the finger to all the idiots who are uh, who who either didn't you know I've tried to explain this this idea to people in uh, the, the housing and homelessness world and I got radio silence Nobody really understood what I was talking about or they just didn't care. So I would love to give the finger to all those people in Rhode Island and buy, you know, a a few different apartment buildings in nicer parts of Rhode Island 
and and house people without government money without nonprofit agencies fucking sticking their nose into shit and ruining uh ruining the mission okay so i that's what i've got my eye on that hundred thousand dollar mark where i can hire a part-time case manager to oversee you know to to serve like four or five people um and pay them well and then put those four or five people to work um obviously after they've been housed and after we do everything the right way and fully without cutting corners okay so this is this is the overview of where i'm at now um i really appreciate you listening to this um i know what i'm saying is probably going to come off as controversial and i'm probably going to sound like an asshole to a lot of people i really don't care um but i've been i've been listening to gary v and if you haven't heard him you need to go listen to him um because if you're not doing exactly what you want to do and you're just talking you're complaining um and you're not you're not putting in the actual work that's going to give you what you want you need to go do that like now because that's what i'm doing i'm not there yet but i've got my eye on the prize and i wanted to share my story with you um hopefully you can jump on board and um you know shoot me a message shoot me an email if you want to be part of the dream okay um and that's that's all i've got for now Uh, i love you guys and i'll see you again soon bye That smile, don't wanna have that talk, don't wanna make that child, or let the suspect walk, don't wanna take it to trial, or settle out of court, just wanna shoot down the storm. Don't want a long disclaimer as a preface to your short story, don't wanna sum up in one sentence why your sort bores me. In fact, one more word out of you and the girl gets it. You're so bossy in a world that has no work ethic, so let's shake to that. Don't wanna give you dap, or figure out whatever hand dance you're bringing back, for I am not a tween. Don't wanna talk in memes, or let the end and to infiltrate all my dreams So what do I want? What do I want now? Want now? To exercise my right to be hostile And drop trial Hey, you, get off that cloud You don't know what that technology allows, huh? Don't wanna wait it out, huh? Don't wanna be more patient Don't want a bank account Charging me for paper statements Don't want no ancient astrology Stopping me from boarding a spaceship Once it gets to a colony Cause all I ever wanted was Space, space, the place Cause all I ever wanted was Space the place I could mock a killing bird without dropping a single word Or flip the middle finger till they stop in in the herd My cattle call becomes a death ring But dial a booty call to the red phone in the west wing Y'all assume to fall for the oldest known joke in the phone book What the fuck's a phone book? That's like a black book for fat folks who don't cook Pick up for delivery, sick of the chivalries Tell me what you're willing to give to me And we go from there Well hello there, just to impress but going nowhere 
And let's oh, go yeah. there Grown man flirting like it hurts him that he has to bother Is that your baby, baby bubba? Does he have a father? Don't be insulted, that was off the top freestyle Still battle rappers for the custody Like please child, these dads are fatherless Motherless, marvelous Adopted by every hip-hop George Papadopoulos Freak the violin, fiddle with his contours Trick him with a happy ending, griddle him with encores Looking for a little bit of cinnamon while encores Negatively affects what I originally signed on for Don't wanna fake that smile, don't wanna have that talk don't wanna make that child or let the suspect walk Don't wanna take it to trial or set a lot of court Just wanna shoot down the storm Oh, you're wrong You got to get right with yourself Sinner, please You could never get with the God Oh, you wrong You got to have a little faith Sinner, please All I ever wanted was space The place she feared most